Adrian, man. Welcome back to the show. Really pumped for this one. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Good. Glad to be here. Glad that you invited me on, especially to talk about this important, quote unquote, important topic. Yeah, we were just talking a little bit off air. I wanted to stop you because I wanted to make sure that you save the good stuff for the podcast. But there was, you know, we're going to start with the first like five, 10 minutes here, just kind of setting the scene, um, kind of trying to steel man some of the arguments against seed oils. And let's just talk about kind of what you had just said off air about kind of where this falls in terms of how people should really be thinking about this. Yeah, definitely. So seed oils right now is probably one of the most, it's one of the most common questions I get. Are seed oils bad? Like literally, I get questions all the time. This is number one right now. And the reality is that if you're eating enough oil of any type for for the type of oil that you're eating to make a significant difference in your health, you're eating too much unless you're trying to gain weight. Because oil, it, I, I tell my clients this, oil is similar to sugar. It's a concentrated source of calories. Just like sugar is a concentrated source of glucose, oil is a concentrated source of fat. So if you're eating a lot of oil, you're going to be adding in a lot of calories that usually isn't going to cause you to be as satiated as like actual calories from like nuts or seeds or, or a whole fat source. And that's the number one problem. <laughs> if if the if you eating canola oil versus butter makes any difference in your health, you're eating too much fat and you're eating too much concentrated fat. And then we can talk about, you know, the differences between these, but that's the most important piece in my opinion, because, you know, if you're eating a small amount of this, because you're limiting oils, because you're eating an overall nutrient dense diet, that's not, you know, using concentrated energy sources, this whole conversation really doesn't even matter that much. Yeah. I think that we, the thing that I often say, like sugar's biggest downfall is that it's not satiating. And, you know, like, and that could be for a number of reasons, lack of micronutrients, lack of fiber, right? Lack of volume, lack of water content. Um, but it's not, it's not satiating per calorie. And I think that in this whole fucking world of like, this is better than that. And this is going to make me inflamed. It's like, if we, if you want to be healthy, I'd start with choosing a diet that overall has a higher satiety per calorie ratio. And that is going to, I'm not saying that's the be all end all, but shit, man, like you said, if you're, it's the same with like the, I was just writing a couple of notes and I'm like, I was trying to parse out what the analogy in my head was, but a lot of the research where there is like an attempt to portray, and we'll go through some of it loosely today of like the, the seed oils are leading to negative health, out, health outcomes are all in the context of people who have gained weight and it's a lot like the fructose research where like the whenever we see like fructose has a negative health outcome it's like in a non-calorie calorie controlled environment or in a calorie controlled environment where, where people gained weight and so mm -hmm. whenever we eliminate the calorie surplus from the equation um and i'll get to like a uh, the amount of like paul saladino and mark hyman and Flave City content that I've consumed. Kate Shanahan is another lady that popularized this as well. She calls them the hateful eight. And she she started this, I think, because she's been talking about this for like a decade. Um, that's another, like, I don't even know who this person is, but when I did seed oil research, she popped up and it was all, she was interviewed multiple times and she talks all about this. Like she'll do a whole podcast interview talking about how, how bad seed oils are. Yeah, just the amount of content I've had to consume. I'm sure you, you just kind of browse <laughs> to see what the latest is, but it's real, it's real painful. And and I'll get to like one of the funny parts here, but what I think would be helpful is like, all right, just real quick, like breakdown. What are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about uh, what basically answering the question, what are seed oils and should you avoid them? And that obviously has a bunch of layers to it. Some of the main claims are seed oils are, quote, highly inflammatory. Imagine I have air quotes around all of this stuff because I, I suspect <laughs> that most of them are contextual or contestable. Um highly inflammatory, toxic, rancid, they're man-made, you know, this argument that we weren't fat until seed oils, uh, they're high in omega-6, they're easily oxidized, we'll talk about how they differ from trans fats, and we'll talk about their, like, uh, direct impact on fat gain or fat loss or insulin resistance and some of these, like, more endpoint health outcomes. Um, and I think our goal, and I, that's why I love you and then love your content and love having you on, is, like, I know that you are on the same page here as far as, like, our goal being helping you figure out where in the hierarchy of importance this lies and how important it is and how many fucks you should give. And, you know, this is all the rage right now. And does it deserve the headlines? Does it deserve your like internal headlines, your attention, your fear, your focus? And so that's definitely going to be like, yeah, we'll talk about some of these claims, but we want to then talk about it, package it and put it into a pyramid somewhere of how much of an effect that this stuff actually has. 
Yeah. Yeah. Should you even be thinking about it? Because there's a lot of people who are literally like reading every label worried about whether or not something has a gram of seed oils in it. And uh, that's definitely not the right way to go. Let's, 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 uh, let's try our best. I'm going to use some, some direct quotes. I'm, you know, it's some of these chats are always like, you know, I always think to myself, should I have someone with us today who's like vehement about this topic um <laughs> and and after role playing that just like hypothetical in my head i decide usually against it and and then re return to like hey let me do my best to steel man this argument if i had to put it in one sentence like why well, like if i'm playing the seed oils are bad side of this equation i'd probably say something like and you can add or correct me if, and then we'll kind of we don't need to answer this all right now but this is where i would say if i were to come on this podcast and make an argument here that seed oils are harmful because they, due to their high polyunsaturated fat and high omega-6 content, are easily oxidized. And when this happens and you consume those things, it increases inflammation in the body, which is bad and causes a whole bunch of stuff. Is there anything you'd want to add to that or do we need to be more or less specific? Um, so that's the that's the biological argument um, where someone's actually like trying to have, take a scientific approach to it. The other approach is just like, well, we haven't traditionally eaten these things and, and they're not ancestrally consistent with, you know, our diet. And they were introduced to the food system 75 years ago when we were perfectly healthy, according to everyone. You know, everyone was like walking around in the best health in the world in 1950, apparently. And uh, so so that's the other argument, like just completely outside of the science where it really does play to a lot of people's emotions. And I think that argument really is the one that really um, connects with people more is because, it's true. I mean, they didn't really exist. They were completely not in the food supply whatsoever. And we started eating a lot more of them over the last 70 years. And so that argument is the one to me that people come to me with is like, okay, well, they're not natural. And we started eating a lot more of them. And over that period of time, we've gotten sick. So this must be like, there's definitely something to that. And again, that's like, a, there's no science, like strong science behind that, but that's a good, it's a good story. Oh, and they used to be used for other things. So people will say like they were used for engine lubricant or, you know, I hear all sorts of stories around that, like the the previous uses and how these companies realize that they can just make a whole bunch of profit by putting poison into our food supply. So this is more of the, you know, the, the deep, deep state story or con conspiracy around it. But honestly, I think that's what is getting more people like really opposed to seed oils is these the storytelling around that stuff. Yeah, that's true. That's going to be something that's like it's easier for the lay person to conceptualize a naturalistic fallacy of like, oh, we we weren't meant to do this. This is, you know, every single interview that I pull up that's Mark Hyman or Paul Saladino, it starts with these were man-made in the 50s. Procter & Gamble was first used exactly. as machine lubricant. And I got to tell you, it's every fucking interview starts with this story. This story is so far removed from what you should be worried about, <laughs> which is in the normal amounts that I consume these in the context of all the inputs of health. Am I? Do, is this something I should worry about? It's so far removed from that question. But it begins with this because it sounds scary. Machine lubricant. And then they realized, well, I'll just take this machine lubricant and I'll put it on the shelf. And it's, you know, it's cheaper and it's rancid and it's man-made. Like, you're right, 100%. That's going to be something that is- You scared me right now. Yeah, like, I don't want to eat them anymore now that you just went on. And, this, and, and, and to this point, like this is when someone leads with that type of conversation, it's a red flag. Like they, they, they're not leading with science. They're not leading with information. They're not leading with facts. They're leading with stories that are playing to your emotion. And it's, it, it works. It's, it's, that's why people do it. It works really well for convincing us of things that can or cannot be true. Like I can convince you of anything if I can get you to emotionally believe and in, in buy into the story that I'm telling you. Um, and that's why they do it. And that's what we really need to, um, as a consumer, you really have to pay attention to that type of language. And when people are using those types of stories that aren't directly relevant to the health outcomes that are associated with consuming that food, because they're, they're distracting you. They're trying to talk about other things so that when they by the time they actually talk about the health effects of, of the actual seed oils, you're bought in. You know that you shouldn't be eating them and they're harmful. And and then they start making up all this biochemistry and, and, and not really, you know, talking about human outcomes, just saying, OK, well, you know, this could go down this pathway and, and you know, so and so. And we'll talk about some of that stuff and why that's not even true. The biological mechanisms they explain as well.
Yeah, let's talk a minute, a minute about uh, trans fats versus, you know, because when the people lead with that argument, um, actually, you know what, before we do that, something on this like this like naturalistic fallacy, like you said, if somebody leads with this, I'll play small devil's advocate here. I think, I think it's interesting that like, if you asked me, hey, is it, if I had to adopt a um, way of thinking that would maybe lead to pretty solid health over the long term, and you're like, well, I'm going to, adhere to like you're not going to be less healthy adopting this naturalistic fallacy like oh, you're, no. you're not going to be less healthy if you're like hey i'm just going to eat food from mama earth that was you know naturally grown grows out of the ground and animals and whatever you just choose to do and it's more natural and if you abide by that i don't think you're going to be less healthy we're just looking at this from like a you probably like it's from a quality of life perspective and from a real practical, we live in 2022 and how am I going to live my happiest, lowest food anxiety life that will also go into health because that is part of our health. And so, you know, I'll have people in my DMs who are like, well, it's not hurting anybody. It's not hurting anybody to switch. And I, and I have a friend of mine who we had a lengthy conversation about this and she was like, well, it's not hurting anybody for me to go. I think it was like a Flav City was like, don't have this salad dressing because it has canola oil in it or something like that. And she's like, well, it's not hurting anybody for me to, in instead of buying that one, buy the olive oil one. And so maybe we could talk a little bit about this idea of like, well, it's not hurting anybody for me to opt for something more natural. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so so there's truth to that. You're definitely, in, in most cases, going to be healthier. Now, there's also the alternative of these people who are going carnivore and that's, you know, all natural and these people are destroying their health. I see this all the time. I have, I get a good portion of clients who are, who are asking me to help them get off of a carnivore diet because they developed health issues. Um, at this point, it's, it's kind of, you know, based on the, the content that I put out, people are reaching out to me from that perspective. Um, but, you know, it, it's, yes, it's most likely going to lead you in the right direction. But the, at the end of the day, we're, you and I are not interested in like, okay, let's just tell people things that are half true so that they believe it and make changes that it potentially might benefit their health. Um, my goal is to provide accuracy so that you can make informed decisions. So if I lie to you, but my lie causes you to do something healthier, quote unquote, for you, does that make my lie correct? Does that like make it morally okay? I don't think it does. I think that I have a responsibility to provide correct information so that you can make the decision. Because if I'm lying to you and manipulating you and providing you misinformation so that your decision is manipulated by that misinformation, I'm making the decision for you. You think you have agency, but the reality is you're making a decision based off misinformation that's been skewed to such a degree that you really don't have a choice. Like it's a no brainer for you because the information is so skewed. Whereas like, you know, if I tell you, eating this is going to kill you, you're not going to eat it anymore. And I just manipulated your decision-making instead of providing you with the correct information. For example, red meat or processed meat and colorectal cancer, like that's associated with the slight increased risk of colorectal cancer. If I told you meat caused cancer and you just don't eat it anymore because I told you meat caused cancer, I'm lying to you, manipulating you, causing you to make decisions that probably aren't in your best interest because of information that wasn't fully accurate. So that's why for me, and I know for you as well, like we, we place a high value on accuracy, on, you know, helping people to make their own decisions as opposed to, hey, let me let me indoctrinate you into this way of thinking so that you eat and live like me. The last thing that I want people to do is feel like they have to live a, a lifestyle like, like me. What I do isn't appropriate for everyone. And I actually wouldn't recommend what I do for anyone because my lifestyle is a you know, it's a, it, it's it's just different than what what other people are living and what what other people can live. Um, so I think that's important. Is really, it, you know, sometimes yes, the, this misinformation may drive you in the right direction, but the, at the end of the day, you are not making properly informed decisions when you're taking in these sources of information, and it may not hurt you in some circumstances, but it can in others, and it is. Like I mentioned, these carnivore people who are going on carnivore diets and developing all these health issues as a result, it's hurting these people. And they think it's not at first. You know, they think some of these people go from from standard American diet. They lose a bunch of weight. They feel great. And then they develop a heart issue and, and they traded, you know, having a little bit of excess weight for a serious cardiovascular issue. And it's because of this type of misinformation. I, I, I appreciate where you're coming from. I'm going to be a little bit more 
annoyed um, and say that, like, you're right. I think accuracy and giving people tools so that they can make autonomous, informed decisions is 100% my ethos, where I'm coming from, what I'd like to do for my clients, people on the internet, whatever, people who come across my page, all of that good stuff. But in, in this context, I actually think, so if for those who don't know what a false dichotomy is, it's a scenario where you you're, you're creating the illusion that somebody only has two choices when in reality they could do it all. And so an argument that I'll often see is like, you know, this isn't hurting anybody because if I pick the one that has extra virgin olive oil versus the one that has canola oil, like that's not, by definition, that's not taking away from my ability to focus on the other big rocks where the truth is that that is technically true. Technically, you could choose the extra virgin olive oil over the canola oil. First of all, we are actually gonna have a conversation that that choice isn't inherently gonna make any difference whatsoever. <laughs> so we could replace that with something that actually matters, for example. But the truth is that it is not, uh, we don't live in a world where people have an unlimited amount of brain power and bandwidth for these decisions. And so there is a distraction component and there are trades of where your emphasis is. It, for the average person's only so much effort and uh, the amount of fucks that you can give towards your nutrition. And the person who's spending time consuming this content is missing out. And again, it's not like technically you could consume both and you could do the big rocks and the pebbles and you could do all of it. But in practice, that's not necessarily how it works. If you have a million people who follow Flav City, you know, there's 1% of them that are also doing the big rocks and maybe taking these tiny side roads to, to these 0.1% changes. But there's 99% of people that are doing the pebbles in lieu of the big rocks, that there is an actual trade happening, a distraction from the big rocks that's happening. And that's where people are, I think there's a misunderstanding, like whether or not you can sit here and tell me that expeller pressed, cold pressed, extra virgin olive oil from a single source is better for me than canola oil. Like whether you can make that argument, most people are going to have wasted time and energy that is finite on that topic when they are, are low hanging fruit with big ROI that they will miss out on. And that's technically philosophically untrue. They could do both. It's just the nutrition isn't people's life. And so they're going to have limited amount of choices. So that's, that's where I come from with the, from the misinformation side of things. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree with that. And I talk about that a lot as well on, on my page. It's just, it, it, I, this is what most podcasts are doing. They're literally bringing up one sensational big rock after the next, you know, 10 years ago, it was all the gluten-free. And then they, you know, there, there's a new thing every couple of years, coconut oil and, and bulletproof coffee. And, and they are talking about those things and they always have a new, these people who are talking about seed oils, they weren't seven years ago. They, it wasn't even on their radar. They didn't even mention it seven years ago. Did the science change in seven years? Hell no, nothing changed. Absolutely nothing changed. It's just people got tired of hearing about gluten and they got tired of hearing about whatever other scary ingredients, gluten and sugar, you know, people got savvy with that. There's been enough debunkings of those that now seed oils is the next thing. And then once seed oils fades out, there's going to be another thing that they're demonizing. And, and just like you said, Jordan, like these are methods of distraction. They're really just distracting you from the things that matter. And the things that matter, you talk about on the podcast all the time, like just the simple big rocks that um, we all really need to be even myself, this is all I focus on. Like we all really need to just, most of us have enough on our plate, focusing on being as consistent as we possibly can with the things that we know provide a significant clinically meaningful benefit, such as, you know, moving more, eating more fruits and vegetables, eating plenty of protein, not overeating, you know, those simple things that, that I talk about on my platform, you talk about, and it's just, we need to, like you said, all of our energy, most of us for most of our energy should be focused on simply getting more consistent with those things that we know we should be doing rather than being constantly distracted by the next fad, the next scary food, the next uh, superfood, you know, and that's where most people are spending all their time and energy because that's where most of these podcasts and, and you know, big big accounts that, that, you know, pray to this type of stuff are just really, they just go from topic to topic and it keeps people's attention because it's not as boring as you need to just walk every day and you need to just have a good weight training routine like that stuff. You know, we, we know this, um, it, it's more interesting for us as human nature to kind of gravitate towards this new information, but that new information is always, almost always, I mean, sometimes there's a little bit of credibility to it, but almost always, just a distraction from the things that actually matter.
let's talk a little bit about trans fats. Let's get into some of the, because I think the it's man-made and it's not natural. We've talked about enough and, and we've appealed to the emotion there and we people are kind of like nodding along. They're like, okay, I get it. That's like an emotional argument. What's like the actual practical things that are going on? And the reason I want to talk about trans fats because there are some research studies that uh, don't differentiate between trans fats and some of these oils that we'll talk about today. And really quick, I think we're fucking 20 minutes in. We haven't even listed what what a seed oil is. And so let's do what is a seed oil and what is a trans fat and a little bit about maybe why they're a little bit different. Yeah, so a seed oil, um, this is going to be uh, – the. so they're actually – most seed oils are going to be high in monounsaturated fats. But when we look at seed oils, it's going to be cottonseed oil, canola oil, peanut oil, sesame oil. Anything that comes from a seed they quali- is qualified as a seed oil, these are – higher in what are called polyunsaturated fat. These are an omega-6 type of fat. Um, this this linoleic acid that is an omega-6 fat can go down a pathway and promote inflammation in the body. It can. It can get converted into what's called arachidonic acid and can promote inflammation within the body. Or we can just eat arachidonic acid from animal foods and, and be one, you know, one step closer to the inflammatory pathway, but people don't talk about that piece of it. Um, and, you know, so this omega-6 fatty acid, um, these, these oils are a little bit higher in this. And a lot of the argument is that eating more of these omega-6 fatty acids leads to um, oxidation and damage and cell damage and cancer and all of the claims that are made around, around seed oils is largely, in many, many cases, largely attributed to uh, these omega-6 fatty acids. Um, when you mentioned trans fats, so trans fats are hydrogenated fats. These are fats that have been chemically altered. And we have established since like the 1970s that these are harmful. These increase risk of mortality. They increase risk of heart disease. And two of the most popular studies that you will hear every single time, like anytime you hear someone talk about the negative effects of seed oils, they'll talk about the Minnesota, Minnesota coronary heart experiment and the Sydney lion heart study, or forget exactly what it's called. They'll bring up those two studies. And the reason being is because in those two studies, they fed people margarine and the margarine had trans fat. So they showed negative health outcomes from consuming seed oils that had been partially hydrogenated that contain trans fats that we know are harmful. And these are literally the only two randomized trials that have ever shown like negative outcomes from seed oils. And you'll hear them like Jordan mentioned earlier, it's going to be the same thing in every podcast. You're going to hear the story and then you're going to hear about the Minnesota coronary heart experiment and the Sydney heart study. And you'll hear about these two trials and every time someone talks about it and they'll never mention that they actually use trans fats and hydrogenated oils in the, in the polyunsaturated fat group. And that we, we know like the, the researchers, like there's no question, anyone who reads science, any nutrition scientist, anyone outside of, you know, trying to create this narrative knows when they read that study, oh, wow, they use trans fats. Like that was a driver of the negative health outcomes in the, in the intervention group. Yeah. And that, and, and like you said, that those two studies, what happened in those studies, basically they took people, I think it was the Sydney heart study was like people in their men in their forties who had already had a cardiac event. And then they swapped out their saturated fat intake for polyunsaturated fat intake in the form of margarine. And they saw an increased, like in the in the in the intervention group where they actually did this, they saw an increased risk for cardiac events or increased uh, frequency of cardiac events after that. That's exactly what you'd expect with increase in trans fats. And so those yeah. studies, like they're not false studies. It is the interpretation of those studies and the application of does that translate to my, you know, canola oil that's in the salad dressing? Does that is this does that like thread translate all the way to me? It it doesn't. That's exactly what you would expect. And the funny part is we have. Other RCTs that do the same thing, switch out saturated fat for polyunsaturated fat, not in the form of margin, and we see improved health outcomes. We have the inverse of that where people switch polyunsaturated for, for saturated fat and we see negative health outcomes. And so it's just it's, a, it's just a blatant disregard for some, and I'm not shitting on that research because it's old. It is old, but it, it was a fine study and the study showed you know kind of what we thought it would, which is trans fats are not good. Um, but that doesn't actually, you can't carry that thread all the way down to like, there's canola oil in this and, you know, I thus am, you know, I can cite this study as for why this is bad. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the thing. They just ignored the fact that there was trans fats in that. And again, these, like you mentioned, these studies were done a long time ago when we didn't really know trans fats were a problem. And, and some people will say, cause I've heard this argument too. Well, we didn't know trans fats were a problem back then. So, you know, we don't know, we don't know that these seed oils are actually a problem now. 
But the difference is in the 1950s or 1960s, 1970s, back when these things were, were these studies were being published, we had no data on nutrition. We had like almost nothing on nutrition. We knew compared to what we know now, it's 0.0001% of what we understand now in terms of data and research to help us make decisions in nutrition. And we know like the, the reason that we can say that seed oils aren't a problem is because there's been dozens and dozens of randomized controlled trials where they take one group. They feed them butter, they take another group, they feed them canola oil or sesame oil or peanut oil or any other type of seed oil. And what happens is LDO goes down on the seed oil um, and markers of inflammation are actually increased in, in some cases on the saturated fat uh, on the saturated fat arm. And that, that's consistent. Every study like there's there's no there's never been a study where we feed people, you know, you, you trade polyunsaturated fat seed oils for for butter and someone has any health outcome, like any health outcome. There's never been a study that showed like insulin sensitivity improved. There's actually the opposite. There's never been a study that showed the inflammation went down. It's actually the opposite. There's never been like no positive health outcome has ever been established from this specific swap. And this has been done hundred times probably in randomized controlled clinical trials where they're feeding people food, they're controlling their diet, they're checking before and after, they're looking at multiple health outcomes and zero studies have ever that, that's the thing that blows my mind the most about this is people are literally recommending a swap from C, like these polyunsaturated fats to saturated fats there, there's not a, a shred of evidence that has ever been done that would ever justify that recommendation yeah which is which is of course wild i always laugh because i think people treat this argument of they'll literally put up like during this whole discussion like hyman will literally be like look at this picture of the beach in 1960. And they're like, look at the beach in 2020. We didn't have seed oils over here, seed oils over here. I'm like, are you fucking stupid? You think the <laughs> biggest difference between the food environment and culture and everything in 1950 and now you think the biggest difference is that we cook with seed oils? Are you like, you think that this is a controlled experiment where 1950s and 2020s, the only change in variable has been seed oils? People are like, well, our calories have gone down. And first of all, that's not true. And there's not so true. many factors that go into the difference between the picture of people at the beach in 2020 and people are, like, it's just, they're like, see that you're like, how are you going to argue that? I'm like, I'll, I'll tell you how with the plethora of things that have changed that could possibly have led to that. It's really insane. The other thing so, is, no, yeah, you go ahead. You yeah. go ahead. I'll go, I'll go next. So speaking to this, just to make sure that we do address this because the, the data looks, looks incredibly convincing. So what you say, like you show the picture before and after you can even show like you can plot seed oil consumption versus obesity or versus diabetes. And, and there's a pretty good um, trend where as seed oil consumption goes up, diabetes goes up as seed oil consumption goes up, you know, over the, over the last several decades, but you can also plot that against anything else, like against car, you know, how much time we spend in a car, uh, how much time we spend in front of screens, uh, you know, we can plot that against everything. How many people work at home, single parent or, you know, two parent households, like we can, we can plot like a number of things that have changed in our society in, in the in the correlation would be very clear because over the last seven years are we've changed how we live as, as humans more so in the last seven years than, than any other 70 years in human history by far. And and seed oils is just like, one small aspect of that. And as you mentioned, the reason that people will use that argument that, that makes it a little bit, um, that makes it seem a little stronger is that we truly are eating a lot more seed oils than we were in 1950. Like we, when they were introduced, we ate a small amount of them. We slowly have eaten more over time. And that's, that's mainly because they're cheap to produce and they're put in a lot of processed foods. So it's not that we're, we're just like, people are just chugging canola oil and it's leading to negative health outcomes. People are eating seed oils as a part of processed foods. And it's not that, you know, the seed oils are making these processed foods bad for us. It's the fact that we're eating heavily processed foods instead of, you know, the whole foods and, and micronutrient rich fruits and vegetables and whole grains and seeds and that those type of things. We're eating chips and, and you know, crackers and things like that. And those aren't going to be ideal for our health. So as we're eating more of those, we're eating more seed oils. It looks like you know, these seed oils are driving this negative effect. But the reality is, it's just if you put if we put, you know, butter in those in those processed foods, they would it would just cost more. It would mess up the texture. It would mess up the taste. And and the outcomes would be the same. Like It wouldn't change anything. There's a there's a <clears throat> there's a chip brand. I'm sure it was on Flav City's content at some point. It was like, hey, swap out. <laughs> 
swap out this chip that has like expeller pressed canola oil, swap it out for this one that has like avocado oil or something like that. And again, it goes back to this argument of why can't I do this instead of what I'm going to say, which is like, well, maybe you just don't have too many chips. Like, do you think that the, the, the difference in the oil that the chip was in by itself over the course of your lifespan is going to have a diff is going to cause a different, like is going to help you live longer or make you healthier. Like I can't imagine that it has a, I can't even imagine, imagine it has a measurable difference. It's like, okay, chips, the avocado oil chip and the canola oil chip, they are both not satiating. They're both a combination of sugar, salt, and fat that are delicious. It's easy to overconsume them. The difference is not going to be the canola oil or the olive oil. It's gonna be the same thing for you. It's gonna be a not satiating, low in fiber and nutrient and protein food that's really tasty and has a place in the overall enjoyment of your eating pattern. But shit, man, like, and again, you might say, well, why can't I do all, focus on not having too many chips and make this choice. You can, don't expect for your doctor to be like, hey, holy, look at look at these blood marks. Have you been, did you switch to avocado oil chips? You know, did you, you son of a bitch, you're eating those avocado <laughs> oil chips. Um, but yeah, so that's like, yes, there's a, it's a logical fallacy that you can't do both. You could, just don't expect some like, don't waste that that limited brain power you have on that decision. Well, and something that you didn't mention, and and I see this all the time, and you'll see this with all of Flav City's content, but like those chips, those avocado oil chips, the, the Siete Foods or whatever, they sell those tortilla chips. They cost $5 for like one third the amount that comes in a normal bag of tortilla yeah, chips. 80% air. I, I, I did a comparison. It's, it's 16 times as much. You're paying 16 times as much for these chips. If you pay 10 to 15 times as much for all of your food, what is that going to do for you? Like that's, and for many people, this is going to put a financial strain on them. That's going to have a negative effect on their health. And then they're going to have to choose. And I've had this conversation with many people of like, I felt so anxious at the grocery store trying to choose between, you know, paying my bills and buying organic because I was scared to not buy organic or I was scared to eat canola oil. So I had to buy this $7 bag of chips instead of the $2 bag. Like that's going to negatively impact your health in other ways. If you're, if you're financially stretching yourself because you believe that something is incredibly different when the reality is like, it's the same damn thing. Like there's no difference. Between, I mean, there, there's a difference, but it's, it's, it's not worth 16 times as much. Like it's not, you're, you're not paying for a 16 times better product. You're paying for the fact that you got manipulated by these people online that told you that the, that, that this difference is, is larger than it actually is. And that's what oftentimes you're paying for. Now, if you like the product, you like supporting the brand, it, you you know whatever the case may be you just like you you feel better buying these types of products and things like that more power to you but i think you and i jordan are talking more so to the average person um because what is represented on instagram is typically not the average person the average person who has to make decisions about trade-offs between the amount of time and energy and effort and money they spend on nutrition and everything else in their life and if you if you have a limited bandwidth and limited financial resources to to apply towards your nutrition you better make sure that you're spending it on the right things because if you're not you're going to be putting the same amount of energy and time and effort and spending the same amount of money and getting no outcomes for it and seeing actually no benefit from it when the reality is like it shouldn't if if nutrition is something that you put some effort into and you're intentional about you should see a benefit like if you went from not being intentional to being intentional and you started making better decisions, you will see improvements because nutrition is a very powerful tool. And when you're doing the right things and focusing on the big rocks, you don't have to put incredible amounts of effort into it. You just like if you're doing the right things, it really eat a little bit more protein, add some more veggies to your meals. Like, you know, just plan ahead a little bit. Doesn't require, it shouldn't require all of this mental energy and effort and constantly trying to stay up with the next trends. Like I, I posted recently about this. Like if you've been, if you've been like listening to podcasts and reading books and things for a decade and you still don't feel confident with your nutrition, that's a problem. And that's, I can't, I mean, that's most of the people that I, that I work with is they've, they've been reading books and listening to podcasts and doing this stuff for decades and they have no idea what to do. And it's like, that's just, it's because, you know, historically all we were exposed to in this field was marketing. Now social media has allowed people like you and I, who, you know, who, who like to put out content and educate people to, to provide, you know, good information to people without you know, having too much of an agenda of like trying to sell, you know, some type of random supplement to them. 
Yeah. And then the, the, you know, again, I'm thinking of a conversation that I've had where somebody would be like, yeah, okay. The cost 16 times more, it's fine. But I am somebody who that doesn't affect like that's And that I'm yeah. not even, they're not saying that in a dick, in a douchey way. They're yeah. like, Hey, this is not something that's not a concern for me, whether it's $4 or $2, let's say. Um, and that's fair. Cool. You, again, you do you, but there is every time you hit like post on something to me, I think like these posts do more harm than good. A post doesn't have to do no harm or uh, let me rephrase that. The post has to do more good than harm and and that by itself doesn't absolve it of any responsibility. Oh, it's, it, it harms 40% of my followers and 40% of the people listen, but it helps 60%. That's not a good ratio. Like that's not a, <laughs> yeah. we can do way better than that with our nutrition advice. And so this person's like, well, you know, it doesn't cost me anything. Yeah, but for every one person of you, there's 10 to 100 people who are feeling very differently than you feel right now. And so this post in your context with your nutrition knowledge and your financial status and your ability to put effort into the minutia here. Like maybe it's doesn't have a big downside for you, but for every one person who's you, there's 10 people who are either more confused, more anxious, you know, putting their eggs in the wrong baskets. Um, and so that, that can be a little frustrating because I'm like, yeah, I get it. It's not, it's not, this is not harming you as much as it is the other 100 people that are watching this. Um, let's, the, another thing that we'll hear, I want to talk a little bit about like the biochemistry, a little bit about like what's actually happening and, you mm -hmm. know, some of the claims that will be made that go over most people's head, but sound really cool. You know, invariably mm -hmm. when you're going on this, like this journey back in time that every fucking person on a podcast will take you, they're like, well, you know, back when, you know, we were fucking Neanderthals, our omega six to omega three ratio was one to oh, one. Yeah. And now it's 16 to 35 to one or whatever metric they're going to use. And so, uh, you know, what is this? Wh what about omega six fats? if you have to pose that argument, make them pro-inflammatory or possibly inflammatory, what's actually happening chemically? And so the actual ratio of omega-6 to omega-3, is that even something that should come into somebody's brain? Um, so we, we thought it did early 2000s. Um, now uh, the, the evidence is kind of demonstrating that omega-3 is the only thing that really matters because the ratio is largely dependent on omega-3. So when you look at omega-6 to omega-3 ratio, um, most of us are eating like about the same amount of omega sixes, but the ratio, the people who are going to have the lower ratio are the ones eating the more omega threes because most people are eating almost zero. So the ratio, when we used to use the ratio, and this was used a lot in clinical, in heart studies, and, and you know, this was a, a big emphasis early 2000s to probably 2010. And then the omega three index came along and now no one uses the omega-6 to omega-3 ratio as a marker of uh, heart disease risk. Omega-3 index is, um, seems to be a, a, a more useful marker, and omega-3 index tells us omega-3 status. So it tells us, you know, the amount of EPA, DHA in our blood, ALA, and um, that seems to be more important than the ratio. So when the focus was on the ratio, um, what we noticed was the ratio went up because we just started eating more omega-6s, and we uh, you know, Americans don't eat a lot of fatty fish overall. So we eat very small amounts of omega-3. The ratio went up, but the reality was it was just more omega-6s and people were eating low omega-3s. People who have high ratios just don't eat a lot of omega-3s. Simple as that. When we give people high ratios, more omega-3s, ratios improve, heart disease risk factors improve, has nothing to do with the omega-6. Um, we when, There's actually a study that was published, I think, two years ago. Um, it was a, a meta-analysis of, of trials where they actually looked at um, the, the types of fat in people's fat cells so that we can get an indication of, like, our linoleic acid, these omega-6 fatty acids, when we eat more of them and they accumulate in our fat cells, is this really driving any negative health outcomes? It was actually associated with positive health outcomes. Higher amounts of linoleic acid, omega-6 fatty acids in our fat tissue which indicates higher amounts of consumption over our lifetime was associated with positive health outcomes, not negative. And so there are some cell culture studies that show that when um, high amounts of omega-6 get like incorporated into cell membranes, as opposed to omega-3s, like in cellular studies where they can really just like skew it heavily in one direction, it's just not, um, it's, it's not what we can actually achieve in humans. Um, that can lead to a more inflammatory response within the cells, but it's not something we're seeing in humans. We're not seeing when we feed people omega-3s or when we feed people omega-6s, we don't see it. When we look at biomarkers, we don't see it. And when we now, most scientists aren't even talking about ratio anymore. 
everyone's focusing on omega-3 index and specifically focusing on omega-3 and not really worrying about omega-6 because the data has kind of evolved over the last couple of decades. You might you might have a take home there be that it'd be more about the inclusion of more omega threes and less about the exclusion or focus on the omega six. And if you want to improve your omega status, that it'd be more about including a fish oil supplement or fatty fish one to two times a week at least. Um, and the the benefit of including more omega threes outweighs like the even remote downside, which we're not really even seeing in human research yeah. from this like omega-6 linoleic acid being in those fat, like increased in the fat tissue. Exactly. I mean, everything I just said could be summed up right there. Just eat more omega-3s and the ratio gets better. And that that's that's really where, where some of the negative health outcomes were. It's just low omega-3 status. What about this idea that, okay, I have an omega-6 polyunsaturated fat and thus, you know, it has a lower smoke point and when heated can become oxidized and unstable and toxic and rancid. Um, and that that being a reason that, hey, we should cook with, you know, more stable oils or oils that have a higher smoke point. Is there... Is there some truth to that? Where does it fall in the hierarchy? Does it actually apply to like our everyday cooking, home cooking, or is it is it something that kind of just isn't necessarily something we need to worry about so much or somewhere in between? So there is truth to that. And, and there is one scenario where I kind of uh, do recommend kind of avoiding these oils. And I just recommend avoiding this overall in general because of this. So, um, but let me first talk about the truth to it. So these oils are more easily oxidized than saturated fats. Does that mean when we cook with them, high amounts of these oils, these fatty acids get oxidized? No. The studies that have been done that show normal cooking, you know, pan frying and using it in the kitchen shows like 1% of these oils are actually getting oxidized and and it's not a big deal. Doesn't seem to lead to any negative health outcomes. People are cooking with them when, when they eat them in, in studies. Like it's not that we don't see any real negative health outcome from this oxidation and the, the, the amount of fatty acids that are being oxidized is exaggerated based on normal cooking methods. Now, there's an exception in which they are used under extremely high heats for long periods of time, and that's in fryers in fast food restaurants. So if you're eating from a fast food restaurant, that oil oftentimes has been under a really high heat for a long period of time, has been frying multiple foods. That oil, probably going to be highly oxidized. But no one's recommending eating fried foods anyway. Like, it's not like we're like, hey, everyone go eat fried foods. It's going to be healthy for you. Um, if we put if even if we did like, you know, butter or anything else in there, uh, that oil would still get oxidized. It would be a, to a to a lesser degree than the canola oil. But um, these foods aren't healthy anyway. Like eating eating a fried food is eating a fried food. Um, it's not going to make a difference what you're eating it with or it's not going to make a massive difference there because you're eating a, a, a food that was basically dipped in fat and fried in a high temperature. Like that's not an ideal way to, to consume our food. So um, that's the only exception where even my, like, even when I go out to eat, I'm like, I, I mostly avoid fried foods. I'll eat them. And I don't like, I don't even worry about it when I do, because I don't have any of those like, you know, mental barriers with, with eating like foods that I know aren't good for my health, quote unquote. But you know, that's the scenario where, um, you know, these foods, are, these oils are probably most problematic. And unfortunately, that's a scenario where, you know, a large percentage of the population is uh, consuming a lot of these oils from these, you know, fried foods. And same thing with like, you know, chips. If you're having chips that are cooked in, in canola oil, it's going to be the same thing. But it's again, it's not going to be a big difference between canola and avocado because it's not like canola oil gets oxidized and it's going to be completely oxidized and avocado is going to be perfect. Avocado oil is also going to get oxidized. Some of these fatty acids are also going to get damaged. And, and the difference between the two isn't as drastic as, as what we're led to believe. And these scenarios, it's hard to test them all. But in the studies that have been done where they're looking at normal cooking temperatures, you know, 20, 30 minutes at, at pretty high heats, they're not showing any reasonable amount of fatty acid oxidation. Again, when they're cooked under extremely high temperatures, when they look, when they when they evaluate fryer oil from fast food restaurants, the amount of oxidation is much higher for sure. Uh, imagine your whole uh, argument for not having seed oils rests on eat less fast food. Like, well, no <laughs> shit, Sherlock. Like, yeah, like exactly. that's where that's where when, when it comes down to it, that's where you and I come to the table with the rest of these people. And we're like, yeah, maybe this is not such a great idea. And then guess what? Everybody else is also at that table agreeing with you and you haven't said anything novel because, okay, maybe... 
don't eat so much fast food is probably a decent recommendation. I don't think there's a person on earth who's going to discredit that. Um, frying this at super high temperatures, sometimes that oil's reused. Um, yeah, that's just poor practice. Again, also, lo- those foods will also be low in fiber, also high in uh, low in fiber, low in protein, high in palatability. They'll be, de- they'll be yeah, delicious. Just- they'll be low in satiety. They'll encourage uh, overeating in calories. And so there's you know, uh, some confounding variables here. Right. And so sure. You know what? I think we're all on the same page here. Deep, deep frying mm-hmm. foods at high temperatures for long periods of time at fast yeah. food places. Not a great eat, idea. If everybody's commercially fried foods, I think that's a good universal recommendation. Yeah. If, and, if, and if we're going to clip that and someone's gonna be like, see, they're anti seed oil. All right, great. No problem. <laughs> I am anti, I'm, I'm down with that. I think it's fine. Um, but I also think like you said that like, if, so if someone's like, all right, you know, we're going to fry these potatoes and, you know, I've heard on this podcast that this is, you know, canola oil is highly oxidized, it's going to cause inflammation in the body. I'm going to use avocado oil. Like if that makes you feel better and there's no anxiety attached to that decision, that's fine. But don't expect an improved health outcome, number one, you you know, outside of the rest of the choices that you make, which will vastly outshadow this decision. Um, and if you're a person who's frying in canola oil, don't feel extra bad, like, there's something now exponentially worse that's gonna happen. You're frying the food. It has downsides. The downsides between frying it in extra virgin olive oil, frying it in canola oil, frying it in vegetable oil, it's gonna be minimal. You're already nine out of 10 already here doing something that's like, again, I'm not trying to sound the alarm. You have one fried food. You're gonna become a big ball of inflammation, but you're already doing the thing that isn't, that is slightly suboptimal. And again, in context, it's probably still not a big deal if you have other health things in check that kind of allow for the a buffer here of like some things that aren't super health conscious, but you're already doing the thing, making the choice. This decision isn't one that warrants a whole bunch of emotion, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in like, uh, like we've discussed already, like the, the, the benefit of trading out canola oil for, for olive oil or avocado oil, probably none. Like, unless you're just, unless half of your diet is fried food. And then again, there's a discussion that needs to be had. If you're eating enough oil for this to matter, the discussion needs to rest on the amount of oil that you're eating as opposed to what type of oil. Yeah, I got two two or three more things I want to do. And then I want to kind of wrap it up with uh, just kind of like some take homes, which I'm sure we've, we'll be just repeating some of the things we've said. But let's just talk a little bit about, and we've talked about it before, maybe you and I even talked about it, but some of the some of the potential issues with epidemiological research that that shows, you know, somebody will pull an, an epidemiological study of, you know, hey, worse. And again, it goes back to the omega six to three ratio. They're like, oh, look at this. You know, we see negative health associations when we look epidemiologically at at like omega six to three ratios. We see, OK, a higher six to three ratio, worse health outcomes. Like how do we on some level reconcile that? And, and I'm not throwing out epidemiological research. Super important. But just a quick snippet from someone who knows how to read research what are the uh, limitations of some of that research yeah i mean so the first thing we want to do is always look for human randomized controlled trials and you know when you don't have those epidemiology can can point us in the right direction but the the key is that um it's association so oftentimes there's healthy user bias we also have to understand the context of when how people are eating seed oils people are eating more seed oils they're eating more fast food they're eating more processed food um, so there could be associations that are just driven by that. And even then there's still not associations, of, which is crazy to me because even when I first looked at this research, I'm like, I would expect associations between more, more seed oil consumption and negative health outcomes because of the foods they're put in. And because of the fact that people are eating more of those foods and the associations still don't still aren't there. Um, and, and that's, uh, the key, I, I think with this specific topic, the key is human research. And, and asking for human research or, or, or trying to identify human research and with any and even epidemi- epidemiological or randomized trials, um, because a lot of the counter arguments is, is it, it, re- it all rests on animal studies. Like anytime you'll see someone talk about a study, it's you know, my study or, or some cell culture study, and they're never talking about human research. And the key is human research, randomized control trials. If there is epidemiology, I mean, we always want to see, you know, some additional evidence to help support that either randomized trials or just a really good justification um, on as to why, you know, that that epidemiology might hold up. And then we want to see multiple epidemiological studies like you don't want to see one study if they talk about, oh, well, this study showed this and it was one study that that should be a red flag, too. It should always be there's a meta analysis of 17 studies, because when it comes to epidemiology and we're looking at um, associations, uh, 
we have so much data on that that we need to compile it all to make sense of it. And people will cherry pick because sometimes there's random associations that show up. Like some people will cherry pick low LDL, like is associated with the, you know, longer mortality or whatever, or, or high LDL is associated with longer mortality. But the reality is like, you want them to be presenting more than one study when it comes to epidemiology, always. Epidemiology is, there, there's just, you need more than one study to validate the findings of one study because those associations can be, can have many confounders. There's a, there's, as you're saying that, there's just like a simple issue that I have with the way that this, these, these studies are used both in like sometimes rodent research, cell culture stuff, or epidemiological research. It's like, these things would be of higher value if we didn't have <laughs> human RCTs yes. and meta-analyses they of human RCTs. Opposite. So it's like, I get it. These things have a part to play. They're thought provoking that that's mainly their, their main purpose is to help us create RCTs to help establish causation. But like, and if we didn't have the RCTs, then the speculation that you would be able to do based on the epidemiological and some of the more mechanistic stuff, like the, I appreciate that speculation, but we literally have human RCTs. So it's not, it's like, I would be fine with the speculation. I'm cool with looking ahead at stuff we don't know. I'm fine with that, but we like, there's the studies you'd that you'd be um, excited to do when you look at the mechanistic research, the rodent research, some of maybe the epidemiological stuff, but even <laughs> like you said, it, it's been done and, and you yeah. we've done it. So it's like, it's it served its purpose. It spurred some, some thoughts in researchers to do certain studies. We did them, we know now. And so it's like, I just could, like when you throw that study at me, I'm like, yeah, this would be cool if we didn't have these four studies. Like like this study spewed these four studies that we have already. So that part always cracks me up. I was listening to, yeah. um, I was listening to, to Paul Saldino. I don't know how much time you have, if we're good for like 10 minutes. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was listening to Paul Saladino on um, Mark Bell's podcast, and um, he Paul Saladino did his whole spiel of like 1950s. Look at this picture. <laughs> we didn't eat seed oils, and it's not. It's man-made and the, the, the lubricant and all this stuff. And then Mark says, "Okay, but like, is it a problem if we don't overeat calories?" And and you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Mark Bell and his nutritional approach at all, and uh, what goes on on his podcast. Not, but that, I thought that was an. Uh, astute question here um yeah and paul goes you know his first words like it was almost like he was caught off guard because somebody actually like mentioned calories and he his first words were quote it's not as big of a deal but people don't like to be imprisoned um which i found to be a massively ironic quote because what you do paul saladino is imprison people, imprison into, people yeah. into eating one specific way or they will die and so he moved, so basically just moved the goalpost. He, somebody's like, hey, is it, is it okay? Is it harmful if we just don't overeat? What do we, what happens to the downsides? He said they basically, it's not nearly as big of a deal, but then moved the goalposts because if you say it's not as big of a deal, if you don't overeat, but you want to stand by your anti-seed oil, then you need to somehow make a claim that seed oil is making people overeat, overeat. right? You have to like somehow move it backwards in the chain of what's happening. So, oh yeah, that's the really, th the bad thing, but this is making it do that. And then he went down, just total moving of the goalposts. was like, oh yeah, but you know, he went on to reference the cannabinoid system and just like some massively obscure things. When the truth is like, what we're looking at here is foods that are high in some of these seed oils are, Hot, quote, highly processed foods. And when we look at that, they are not problematic, but more likely to be overeaten in calories over the long term. A lot of times more easily accessible, cheaper, more delicious. Um, and so I, I just was really like this moving of the goalpost and kind of coming back to this full circle of like, okay, Paul, so are we on the same page here that it's the overeating that is the downside or is are you still sticking by um, that that it's the seed oils or are seed oils just found in things that are more likely to be overeaten or are they inherently bad? Because when we look at, again, we talked about like the sugar and the fructose research, it's like people went crazy with some of this mechanistic stuff with fructose. And then guess what? We looked at some human data where fructose showed a negative health outcome. It was in the context of weight gain. So we controlled for calories, gave people a fuck ton of fructose, but they didn't gain any weight, saw no negative health, negative health <laughs> outcomes. Um, and then we kind of do the same thing with these omegas and we see no negative health outcomes. I'm just, I'm just so fucking confused as to like the, the mental gymnastics that goes on. That's just my little rant with Saladino. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it, I mean, it's, it, it's not intended to, it's not, these people aren't out here to educate. They're, they're, they're marketers. And, and I, I know most people sometimes don't realize that. Like I see this in Paul Saladino's comment section all the time. Like, oh, I learned so much from, 
from Carnivore MD, et cetera. But the reality is these people are marketing. Like they're not here to educate. They don't care about accuracy. They're not, they're not really trying to have a good faith discussion about this. Um, when they're questioned in ways that cause them to, you know, they're, they're just going to figure out a way to um, make another justification for their, for their point. I could do the same thing. Like I could, I could make people believe that fruit was the worst thing that they could ever eat. And I could literally, we could have an hour long discussion about why people should never pick up a fruit again. And I, and because I understand physiology and nutrition, like I could, I could just outline this in, in the worst way possible. I could bring some studies that show fructose feeding, overfeeding and scare people. Look, it causes cancer. Look, you know, cancer cells use glucose to, to fuel themselves. And um, the reality is it's, it's just not in good faith. And, and it, it people really need to be more diligent overall. Um, you won't get caught up in these topics and discussions if you're just more diligent about who you pay attention to. And I always tell people in my people that follow me and, and on my social media pages, like take pick a few good sources and cut the rest of the noise out, because if you don't, you're always going to like, I have clients that I always have to tell, like, please just unfollow everyone you're following because you keep asking me these questions about topics and it's causing you confusion and it's causing you uncertainty. And at the end of the day, it's not helping you at all because it's just misinformation. It's distracting you. It's, it's taking your mind off of what you need to be focused on. And that in my opinion is a solution for most people is like, if you are not an expert in this field, who's trying to just really, who, who is going to be spending as much time as you and I do learning on this topic um, and you're just trying to do what you need to do for your health, you got to find a couple of reputable sources and literally just cut out the rest of the noise and just start implementing. And then if if that doesn't work for you, maybe maybe make some adjustments over time. But if you're constantly trying to take in all these different messages and try to do what Paul Saladino says and what Mark Hyman says and what this person says, you will forever be confused and you will never get anything beneficial out of this effort that you're putting into, you know, your nutrition and it's, it's going to lead down a, a negative path. Like if you do get something beneficial, which I see a lot of times as well, is it sometimes comes with eating disorders where people are just hyper focused on every little thing that they eat because of all these messages. And they're worried about this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing, instead of focusing on those big rocks, like we discussed. Yep. Let's close it down. I'm, I'm, I have a couple of questions and I'm just going to want you to pick the ones you feel like answering in some form of like a, a some sort of like a wrap up blurb. And okay. I'll start by saying something that I think we both agree with that defending against, I'm going I'm to need to trademark this because I'm, I think I'm, it's spot on here. If I just say so myself, that defending against the demonization of something isn't the same as claiming there's no downside in any context or encouraging the increased consumption of, of that thing. Because a lot of times, you know, I'll talk about things falling in the hierarchy of importance at a low point and the comment will be what this person's encouraging that you eat more. And so this is, those are two very different things, but and we can, you can touch on that, but I want a couple of questions. Are we completely exonerating seed oils? Are we claiming that they're health promoting um, any comments on comparing it to the alternatives, which I think we've done a little bit. Uh, should people actively consume more seed or vegetable oils? Um, and if price and accessibility are the same, which they're not for everyone, but some, like we said, some people may feel this way. Like, should people go for something less controversial? Okay. Um, lots of questions there. You can so, wrap it up however you want, whatever spurred your brain there. Cause I think we've answered a lot of those already there. So here's my thought process. We definitely shouldn't be consuming more seed oils. Like this isn't something that people need to go out and actively consume. Um, as a part of our diet, oil should be there uh, to help with like salad dressings for, you know, to help with texture and taste of foods. But beyond that, like we shouldn't be purposefully trying to like put more oil into our foods. Um, when it comes to making choices about oils, in my opinion, based on all the data that's available, olive oil is the best choice. Like the, olive oil is the best choice. So if you're like, you know, I want to just pick one oil and stick with it, stick with olive oil. That's the best choice. Second to olive oil is canola oil and these other seed oils. Like they, they, they literally fall beyond behind olive oil in terms of health effects. And then behind that, is going to be the animal-based fats. Those are the ones that we probably want to limit even further than you know than than these plant-based fats because they tend to be associated with some negative health outcomes when we eat high amounts of them. But with that said, as I mentioned a second ago, I don't recommend eating a lot of oils anyway. So what I always tell my clients is, or people I work with, like 
if you're not eating a lot of oils, just eat whatever the hell you enjoy. And don't even worry about like the type or whatever. If you like butter with your pancakes, eat some butter with your pancakes. As long as you're not eating a lot of oils, as long as you're not overeating in general and eating too many calories, if it fits within the, the context of your diet, the specific type of oil that you eat at every meal doesn't matter as much. And, and I wouldn't worry about it. I wouldn't spend any bandwidth on it. Uh, again, if you want to go with ideal, quote unquote, just stick with olive oil. If you want to go with what's culinarily appropriate for whatever meal you're making, do that. Like it's not that big of a deal. Don't 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 let this topic take too much mental bandwidth for you. Minimize or you know kind of limit oils in your overall diet. Eat what you enjoy and don't don't spend too much energy outside of that. Excellent. I love it. Let's wrap it up there, my man. Drop a line on where people can find you. I'll attach our previous episode on insulin resistance. Um in the in the in the show notes it's funny because as those words came out i'm like that's actually something that like we were going to potentially talk about but i just just think we kind of squashed that the idea that like the the seed oil is causing inflammation is the first part of the chain that the inflammation is then causing causing insulin resistance then the insulin resistance is causing you to get fat it's like a massive leap in logic here and even if it were you know go listen to our last podcast on insulin resistance on how you can improve <laughs> your insulin resistance and it's certainly not going to be going into your diet and removing seed oils won't be in the top 100 things that you could do and might actually depending on what you replace it with be a, a, a turn in the other direction so let's 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 put a pin in that if you're interested in the insulin resistance uh discussion insulin sensitivity discussion i'll link that podcast in the description so drop a line on where people can find you my man yeah, definitely. Uh, Instagram is where I'm most active uh, at Dr. Adrian Chavez with periods in between. So DR period, Adrian period Chavez. Um, I'm again, most active there and anything else that I do, uh, you can pretty much find there. I have links to, to all of your courses, working with me, all of that. Cool. I appreciate your time. And I really, you know, selfishly, I'm going to need you on for a gut health podcast, but we, I'll <laughs> give you some time. I'll give you a little break and we'll do it in a couple months. And uh, I appreciate your time a ton. Thanks so much. For, for sure, man. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you liked the episode, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media or left a five-star review on iTunes. That stuff really helps. If you ever want to get in touch with me, just shoot me a DM on Instagram, at Jordan Lips Fitness. I'm always around to chat. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.